So the last two episodes, we... Oh, wait, let me start. Do a hard pause, right? We don't say so in this episode. Oh, I'm just teasing. You can't even say episode. You have to say epa-ode. Right, yeah. <laughs> We're removing so from our language completely. <laughs> Man, I love that music. Hey, I'm Matt with Voltner Woodworking and your host of the Maker Lounge podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us in the lounge. Good the luck. three beards are back. One is too small, one is too Epid- large, and one is just right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. He's been sitting on that for two weeks. Oh, man, it's been great. So Dean and Joseph are back, and we pick up where we left last week, finishing our conversation on producing content. That will give you the secret sauce to your proverbial content creation porridge. It took me a long time to write that. Yeah, man. You've been really sitting there by the fireplace pondering (laughs) these things. The last two episodes, we focused on defining your avatar, setting up the shot, and getting the right gear. And this week, we move into production and post-production. In this episode, we're going to go over files, foleys, and fades. And that's not your haircut. Because you're looking at a bald host. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Dean, you had a busy week? Yeah, and just to reintroduce myself to the audience, my name is Dean Duplantis. I'm a hobby maker down in Houston. I'm known for the Making Our Way podcast with my two co-hosts, Christy and Austin. And I am a friend of Matt's. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Yeah, no, you carried the uh, conversation the last two weeks, so I think you're going to be a staple on this podcast uh, as long as you'll keep coming back. Just one more thing to do, I guess. (laughs) This one you don't have to edit. Right, that's the big saving grace. And you're right, I did have a busy week. Not to get off of the topic, but I was so jealous of everyone at their uh, Maker Camp getaways this last weekend. I've been focused on the high-caliber camp, which is something that Austin puts together for a group of us in our Discord. We travel over to Virginia. It's a blacksmithing event with some woodworking and a little bit of leather work and just general fellowship uh, over the weekend, long weekend. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. And ex- uh, we do a gift exchange there. So kind of how they have uh, the Working Hand podcast guys do the swap items, uh, right. make or swap at camp. We do something similar, but instead you do a small item and you make 20 or 25, however many participants there are, to bring with you. So, you know, not the best thing you've ever made, something you can batch out, but it's, it's a really neat phenomenon when you do this because you have economies of scale. And so when you make 20, mm. you save a little money because you bought in bulk, you get a little faster as you go and you end up with, you know, able to do 20 mm. things with maybe a percentage less effort than making things individually. And then you share those with your friends. And when you leave, That's cool. you have 20 unique items that would have taken you a larger amount of time to complete. And so it's a nice little swap that we do. And I'm looking forward to that for sure. Beyond the, you know, the blacksmithing's the star, but I always look forward to the swap. Yeah. And that way you don't like end up with something that you're not super happy with. I think like at the, the maker camp, which is, it's an awesome idea that the swap that they do, but I, at some point, somebody's going to end up with something that they didn't necessarily want, I guess. Right. Kind of like well, the white elephant thing. Yeah. But yeah. you've got to go into situations like that. Willing to accept whatever. It's about the yeah. experience, not necessarily what you leave with. If you think everything's going to be a level up or you're going to leave with some heirloom <laughs> item, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, you <laughs> do your best, and if everyone puts their best in the world, eight out of ten of you will come out happy, and that's all you can ask for. Michael you don't want to be the toilet paper the guy? <laughs> be the toilet paper guy that ends up walking away with an iPad or something? <laughs> yeah. We we used to have this uh, party in Atlanta called I, I called it the Mustache Castache Semi Annual Cell Phone Bingo Scavenger Hunt, okay. and we would do it for the December one was a um, uh, you know a white elephant, but there were no rules, no minimum, no maximum, but you could trade three times, and people went ridiculous. And one of them was the toilet paper guy, oh. but he put twenties uh, inside of the toilet paper rolls. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. that's yeah. smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate participating in stuff like that because, right, someone's always going to get their feelings hurt. And the other one, I've never been one of those. I don't understand the point of a gag gifts. All you're doing is wasting your money. You think it's yeah. funny for a second. It's really probably not as funny as you think it is. You wasted money, and then the recipient got something they didn't want anyway. Right. So I do kind of steer clear of the white elephant gifts, and I do try to do my best on the, the swap that we have coming up. So Dean is gearing up for his uh, his little hurrah. And uh, Joseph just came back from one. Why don't you tell us what you 
what kind of fun you were having this week. So I went to Maker Camp up in New York, uh, had no idea what to expect, what was going on. There's no real marketing. Like I even went deep into YouTube thinking, hey, you know, we're content creators. Somebody will have some sort of content hmm. and really couldn't find much. And once I got there, I realized like people are just in it. There's no reason to, to shoot it if you're in it. So I was at Maker hmm. Camp up in the Catskills. Um, Jimmy uh, Deresta asked me to come up and do my class that I do at WorkbenchCon, uh, come and do it at Maker Camp. And he gave me the shot because there's so much equipment and I needed projection. We couldn't do it at Maker Camp because it's very much a, a camp. You know, it's blacksmithing and woodworking and welding right. and just so many hands-on things. It's It's almost polar opposite to workbench con but the same people and that same feeling it, it was it's just yeah. weird how they're polar opposites but they feel almost the exact same especially coming back you feel invigorated mm -hmm. and i needed a place to stay just as folks are noticing next year is already sold out at the resort crazy and uh, I needed a place to stay. Jimmy said, just stay at the house. I brought my best friend and business partner up with me, and I had no idea what I was in for. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was amazing. It was a, very much a who's who. And then whenever you get to the camp, it's very analog. Like, it is very hands-on, very gritty. Yeah. Um, and it's – it the nighttime was a surreal experience for me being around all of these creative individuals, like, I, I mean, I can't explain the things that I saw and the people that I met and was just in awe of the maker world and what people make. So what was the big takeaway for you? Like personally? Um, planning, you know, as much as I harp on planning and, and we spent three hours talking about planning. I couldn't plan for this event. I yeah. planned as much as I could of, right. you know, doing all these classes. And, and I learned, I think it was Alexander Dumas said, uh, the greatest laid plans of mice and men go often askew. Mm -hmm. Everything that I planned for fell on its face. And the moment that I finally let go and I just let myself be in the moment is when um, it was beautiful. Maybe the class should be called like welding with a camera and then people be like, what the hell is that? You know, like welding that. with a camera, you know, like, I want yeah. to, let me go check this thing out. Cause I, I, I it, it, it does seem like more like practical application type stuff. And, and people probably don't have the, the content yeah. part on their mind, but I bet you so many people are kicking themselves when they came home and they didn't have the footage to share because they were just, I mean, you're in the experience and that that's fun. But then you also, mm. when you have that like letdown, when you come back from something like that, you want to share it. And you're, if you yeah. haven't shot anything like a workbench con, you know, you're, you're having so much fun that you forget to take pictures and video. Yeah. If you forget about selfies and you forget about this. There were so many things that I'm coming back to try to tell my wife about, and I'm mm -hmm. going through my camera roll and I'm going through my big camera and the other cameras. And I'm like, Oh crap. Yeah. Like, it's in my head. How do I get this out of my head and show you this beautiful thing? When your camera roll is you taking off on the airplane and landing from on the airplane and saying, wow, what a great week. And you have nothing in between. <laughs> yeah. Dean, is it um, like that with, uh, the high caliber deal or, yeah. So what's nice is, you know, we all know each other. We know each other through discord. So there's a familiarity with everyone at every event. And then the numbers are at a point where there's no FOMO or, or fear of missing an opportunity. So you're not standing in line. You're not staging, mm -hmm. waiting for your turn to do something. Right. Mm -hmm. And then nothing is truly new. Even if it's new, you have mm -hmm. dedicated hand-on instructors standing there to, to help you. Yes. There may not be as many opportunities or, or new things to do. And, and I don't like to compare no, things like there. that. I mean, yeah. makers camp is an amazing yeah. event. Austin camp for what it is, is an amazing event. High caliber camp. Uh, what we did last year that was really nice was everyone, because we know each other, you're fully comfortable handing a phone over or a camera over mm -hmm. saying, Hey man, will you take a picture of me doing this? Mm -hmm. So you would do last year. The big thing was we made kitchen cleavers and we burn the handles mm -hmm. on. And so mm. that's a great shot, the smoke coming out of the top yeah. of this handle that you turned. But what you'd end up with is four or five different angles because four or five of your friends uh -huh. were standing around you. And then we set up a Google Drive 
and you dumped all of your footage into the Google Drive. Oh, that's so good, I made yeah. a complete YouTube video with nothing that I filmed. It was yeah. all one guy was there with a drone, so you had a lot of B-roll. And then so, you had two or three different angles of you doing your work. As just, a matter of fact, that might most be an opportunity the, for you next year it, to host a a common driver something oh, like that, and then you use that as a cross promotional right. opportunity. So I I did this when I did wedding video. I have a Dropbox inbox where you know it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm grandfathered in, so it's unlimited. But I have a link that you can upload straight from your phone into my Dropbox. And so mm-hmm. as I did weddings, I had a Wi-Fi hotspot. And I would put the QR code, say, whatever footage you shoot of the couple of, you know, whatever, it's shooting from 100 different angles, they would upload it into there. And, I mean, you you get some ridiculous things that people are like, (laughs) let me airdrop something inappropriate. But you get to tell the story from different angles. And I would tell people, do a selfie note to the bride and groom. And oh, tell good. them something, and it, those were That's fun. Cool. After enough drinks get into you, have to you, cut that off like thirty minutes before last call. <laughs> well, they can upload it at any point moving forward, so it was up to me to go through that. And after a while, I quit doing it because it became yeah. very taxing, and it was beautiful, but it's it's um, it wasn't worth the rub in the end. Yeah. So a takeaway from conversation we've had with joseph that we're going to incorporate into this year's is we're going to have a whiteboard or you know piece of paper somewhere that we're going to document ideal shot locations like Mm. hey if you're doing this so we'll basically storyboard documentation opportunities so during this part of the event make sure that these are the kind of shots that are ideal Uh, these are the angles make sure you get this and then we'll have here are all the hashtags to so we capture all the sponsors and make sure that we get, so we made a media packet from last year mm, and said, awesome. you know, this were how many impressions we had. These were how many likes we had. These are how many views we had. And then use that to leverage and try to get more sponsorships for the abrasive belts or, um, right. Brian house, uh, sent over a, a two by 72 belt grinder. So we, cause that was a limitation we had last year was the two by 72 was kind of a bottleneck. Well, now we have an extra one that Brian house sent over and then, uh, Maritime Knife Supply, and I, and I hate to p- plug all these people on your podcast, plug but uh, Maritime Knife Supply supplied the abrasives and online metals, donates some of the metals used for uh, different projects that are ongoing. And there's several other ones. I think Total Boat might be sending some of the epoxy we're going to use for the attaching the handles. I'm not sure if that commitment came through or not, but. Very cool. Uh, ideal. The point being, we're going to have kind of, in my world, we'd call it like a status board. Where you would that's awesome. So when you do an oil spill or an emergency response, you have your status board that you walk in and here's what's going on today. Here's your points of contact. Here's all the notes. Here's the timeline. So we'll do that and we'll say, hey, here's our shot list. Here's the good shots. If you do that, if you do a tomahawk, make sure you get one of you throwing. Make sure you get one of you chopping something. Make sure you get all these shots, and that way we can share the good footage with everyone. I remember last year when you went, you did that, like you were talking about, you know, putting the 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 shaft onto the knife mm-hmm. and you did have a bunch of angles. So that is cool that to be, to do that like video share something you wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. And it was probably one of your better performing videos, I would guess, or. Oh yeah. Those were, I, that's a bad habit I have is I don't film enough of the stuff I'm doing. Yeah. It's so like right now I just sewed 30 bags. I made 30 of these pneumatic punches and none of it. I don't feel is real worthy because I don't ever sit up. And that's something I'm so excited to learn from Joseph is, where I can take these opportunities and something really you've been doing these micro publications, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a 60 second publication. You're finding these five to 10, you know, probably twice the length of a a vine, but those five, 10 second outputs. And you are really rewarded by putting content out on a daily basis. And I've got to get better at that. One of the things I, I did there that wouldn't have been documented except for this crowdsourcing of filming was it, it was completely just me being Billy Badass. I was going to, um, I had a hammer in my hand. I must have been going to paint something over, or oh, I was making a twist on a hook. And I pulled the piece of iron out the forge. And when I turned in my left hand, I spin the hammer yeah. in my hand and then come down and hit it. And it was just yeah. me being what I normally do. And someone caught it on footage on film. Nice. And it's so much better than just here's a finished product shot, right. or even here's a process, just to see this comfort of turning and spinning the hammer in my hand yeah. like it was a six shoot or something, and then coming down, it was 
was a lot of fun. And I only got that through that crowdsource documentation. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, all, all that stuff that, it, you know, that it's a takeaway, maybe even for WorkbenchCon, you know, to be able to, to collaborate with other people. And that, that may be something that, uh, you just know, just me, yeah, me personally, you know, just connecting with people and saying, hey, you know, it, just a few friends, because I'm sure WorkbenchCon isn't going to do something like that. I mean, it's, it's a huge deal, but if, you know, the people that I hang out with just, you know, do some sort of document share, whatever, get ready because, you know, I want to, I want to document more of those opportunities. Uh, and I think if I have that on my brain kind of going into it, this last WorkbenchCon was my first time going to WorkbenchCon and I had no clue what to expect, but now mm -hmm. I do. And I know that I want to capture more video um, and, you know, video is the way that, that I see my content going, not, you know, photos. Mm -hmm. I'm not a photographer or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, that'd be cool. And building that, that into the, to my content, even for B roll stuff. Um, so as we kind of launch into the, the next segment, so we've got all the footage and everything from these events. Let's say I want to make a YouTube video. I know we talked about having 25 video ideas, right. Uh, in the last episode or maybe the episode prior to that, and, you know, get those 25 ideas ready to go. Should I start with my best three ideas? Should I start with my fourth best idea so I could save my best ideas? What should I do, Joseph? Well, I tell folks, don't shoot your long form stuff with a new piece of equipment right away. I took a brand new camera on this trip. Uh, I got a Sony FX3 right before the trip. And I spent a lot of times having bad footage because I didn't have the settings right. I didn't know how to change my ISO. Like I ended up putting it in auto mode, which is mm. so difficult for me at times because I want to have that control and auto mode just automatically does things. I tell folks, when you get your equipment for the first time, go play with yourself and <laughs> practice with short shots. All right. Um, That's easy how you know, it goes. Whenever I tell folks, don't shoot wood coming off and don't shoot uh, every cut that you make, this time go and do that stuff and practice um, doing short shots so that you get used to how your equipment works, how to set the white balance, how to set your uh, aperture and your f-stops, how to set your shutter speed, how to frame it, how to change bit rate. Is it lossless? Is it lossy? Is it all I, HS, HX? What's the file size that comes out of it? You know, by practicing the shots, you're not doing it with something that actually matters and you can practice your storytelling. Uh, one of the assignments I give people is start with your phone or the camera and do a three shot story. Go and shoot something and tell a story in three shots. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I tell people don't shoot the saw going, but imagine uh, your first shot is you holding a level up against something and it's just off of bubble. And then your second shot is on your miter and it starts at 45 and it goes to 43. And we haven't even worked the miter. We're just showing that click. And the third shot is the new piece of wood up there and it's center bubble. So you've told a story in three shots without even saying anything. It's just I'm yeah. off. I'm off. I'm right. That's the three good. shot story. That's so interesting. I think about you know, I'm in this story club where we, we've we been reading a book and watching a movie, and it's not lost on me how the movies are always shorter than the book. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you mm -hmm. listen to an audio book, it's significantly shorter to watch the movie. And it's because mm -hmm. you take for granted how much story you can tell just with establishing shots. Yeah. And visuals. And, you know, there, there's the adage, a picture is worth a thousand words because a photo can keep you from saying a thousand words. Well, if video is 30 pictures in a second, imagine how much you can tell during that time. But also just go and practice. Another piece of it, instead of the three-shot story, do a five-minute film. And I don't mean a film that lasts for five minutes. I mean a film that you make in five minutes. I put on a timer and I brainstorm a random idea 
and I shoot it and I edit and I export in five minutes, i.e. that MITRE video is a perfect example of it. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say you end up with like a uh, out of five minutes, you end up with what? F- Ten seconds. If, exactly. If yeah. So if you're going to go do one of these expedited films, I mean, is there a baseline of types of shots you should capture? Well, your your three typical shots are a wide shot, medium shot, tight shot. A wide shot is usually um, waist high of the subject because one of the rules is don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes because truth is told through the eyes. If you have a wide shot, like a surveillance shot, you know, one of those people who make it wide so you can see everything they're doing in the shop, it, it doesn't tell anything. So the widest shot that I recommend for makers is about a maybe thigh high, waist high shot. And then a medium shot being about chest high, maybe stomach high. And then a tight shot being almost head height. And I'm saying that visualizing a person, um, the hero is the main item in there. I could be the hero, but the hero could also be the box that I'm building. It could be the tools that I'm using. Whatever your story is, it back to pre-production where we have our character introduction, our rising action, climax, and resolution. Your hero has to have uh, conflict and resolution. So the hero could be the box. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking like inst- if I'm shooting for Instagram, it's going to be a different – shooting style than if I'm mm-hmm. shooting for YouTube because I'm more of a, I'm more of an in, uh, what, what did you say on the infotainment? Portrait style. I'm, I'm more on the entertainment side. I think You're on the I would lean more that way. Yeah. Uh, if I'm shooting for YouTube and, and when I like watching YouTube videos, I like the shot where they're starting to come into the shop or into the garage. Cause I can get, I can get perspective, you know, establishing of, shot. Yeah. So how would that work? Um, how can you establish that in Instagram? You want to, uh, so an establishing shot, think about this when you used to watch Family Matters or Full House, it was the house on the outside. Some folks on Instagram are doing the establishing shot with the thumbnail of the video. Um, your character introduction, people get really creative with this. It might yeah. be, um, here's the problem. Like when you watch a commercial, if, if And again, Tide can get you to change your detergent in 15 seconds. You should be able to tell these stories in 15 (laughs) seconds. Uh, It's it's establishing who the hero is in that opening bit. Some of your best ones that you're doing in your reels, and if you go and look at your likes, I guarantee it's a video that you've established what the video is about. In the beginning, you've created intrigue. So your first shot needs to be creating intrigue. And the reason we don't do a lock shot and just open record is because cuts force the viewer to try and figure out what's going on. So by having those establishing shots that last, if we're talking about Instagram reels, one to two seconds, the viewer gets enough information to figure out what's going on, and then you refresh them. Think about when you've had a conversation with somebody and you have already figured out what they're about to say, you've checked out. Well, that long-winded person, kind of like me in the last two episodes, they need to just get to the meat and then make another point, make another cut. So you have your establishing shot. Once they figured it out, you go to the next shot, etc. But to answer your question, how do you do that on Instagram? You have to introduce the character or the hero there up front. Gotcha. Joseph, I wanted to ask you about this hero concept. I totally understand that the hero is the subject, so it can be a thing or a person. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, if you're trying to curate an audience or build a channel or bring people back, there's two avenues. It's either through the beauty of your photographs and cinematography mm-hmm. or they're interested in you. And so mm-hmm. if you're trying to build an audience that consistently comes back, should you try to force you as the hero and the objects that you're presenting or the story you're telling is secondary, almost like a sitcom? Well, or, this... Go ahead, please. Well, this goes into the the whole infotaining spectrum. You're either informative or you're entertaining. So if it's beautiful, it's entertaining. If the person in the process is what's important, then it's informative. 
Um, it, it's whatever your voice is. If you're gifted enough to have uh, beautiful visuals from the camera or you're creating beautiful objects, uh, if beauty is it and you don't have to use words, that could be it. Like whenever I watch Total Boat's shorts, they're doing something that almost everybody does, but they're doing it in a beautiful way. You know, they're doing the cutting boards or their sharp cutlery boards that look like an ocean. Um, they are doing something beautiful, but they also in that same channel have content where they're teaching you how to do something where it's not as pretty, but it is informative. To play devil's advocate, you, okay. you bring up Total Boat. That's a good example. You know, okay. I would argue that the epoxy is the person and what they're featuring are the products that this person produced, but th they're a consistency. I guess I just want to, I always thought that if you put your face in front of the camera, uh, even if the hero is this widget that you made, you should always try to incorporate yourself in there somehow. And maybe, you know, I'm sure Matt's experience, it might make it a little harder for people to steal your content as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the stickers and logos, like with Matt's new bench, that definitely helps a lot with it. Yeah, with the logo on it. Yeah. Some folks don't want to be in front of the camera, but their logo can be or something that defines them. What's beautiful is as you get going in your channel and as you practice your content, we're creatures of habit and your vision will naturally come out of your videos. If you look at Matt's stuff over the last six to eight months, he has defined his vision. I'm still trying to do that. My business partner was uh, pushing on me to connect with uh, this individual to get design help. My text and fonts that I'm using are prefab from uh, like Mr. Horse, uh, which is a plug-in. And I need to define my brand and style. And I think after a while, that will naturally come out of your videos, whether they be short form or long form. Today, I shot a um, mullet tool, sent me a one of their dust extraction oh, systems. Dust collectors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Ooh. I was shooting that and, and I had probably a, a good probably 10 minutes worth of footage and and that's moving the tripod pot around from shot to shot to shot and you know trying to frame everything up and it's frustrating right you know I, something that should mm -hmm. take you you know no time at all uh, takes incredible amount of time is there a way that somebody mm -hmm. can in their uh, shooting style make it look more dynamic rather than a tripod that's kind of moving around from shot to shot is there a way that in I don't know if I'm leading into post-production type stuff or if this is something that's more something I can it's do practical. practical. Yeah, that, that's still practical. What you're talking about there um, to make the shots more dynamic. When we talked about stability uh, um, mounts in the last episode, I, I didn't get into the differentiation. They are either static or dynamic. A tripod is static. A monopod is fairly static. It rides both lines because it can move, but a tripod is definitely static. Mm -hmm. um, a slider, a jib, a dolly, a crane, etc., are all dynamic shots. You, a Steadicam, is a dynamic shot. You can make your own Steadicam. My first Steadicam that I made probably five grand with doing motorcycle shoots was uh, a T was black pipe with a T adapter and I put five pounds of weights on the bottom and a quarter 20 screw on the top, yeah. mounted my camera to it and I was able to move. I had a T uh, piece in it so that my left hand was holding the vertical um, bar and then my right hand was holding a horizontal one so I could pan, I could tilt, uh, Jib, which is up and down, pan is left and right, tilt is up and down, and dolly is in and out, mm -hmm. and slider is left to right. And so you don't have to spend $300 on a beautiful motorized slider. Right. Uh, you could just make something out of pipe and then put the camera where the viewer needs to be. So imagine I'm standing up holding my phone in front of my face and I'm shooting my kid. Well, that video makes the viewer a, an adult. But if I take my camera and I get to the eye level of my kid, then the viewer is another kid. So by changing the shot, even though I'm static, I'm having dynamic movement to it. It 
is storytelling in its own way using practical effects and movement? In my content, I am typically, I, I am either the hero or I am working directly with the hero. And so moving the camera is not an option. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll do like a wider shot uh, mm. and then use like if I'm shooting in 4K, I'll, I'll trim it down so I can take one of the, you know, third sections and yep. then I can I can kind of do a panning, what looks like somebody's actually doing a pan or whatever in some of my content. Is that something so that's if, like, if you, know, you do can that, you tell? Uh, I can tell most folks whenever they go to add motion into their shots in post-production, they're using keyframes. So a keyframe, a keyframe, if you don't know it, is at this point in time, I want these attributes to be set. Yeah. I want the scale to be 100%. I want the position to be center at one second. At three seconds, I want the scale to be 150% and the position to be like 100 and 200 pixels off to the left. That makes it look like I am zooming in and panning to the right. The issue with this is if you do the keyframes, the software is interpreting I want to be here, I want to be here, and it's a steady motion. Humans don't move that way. If right. you go back to Wiley e. Coyote and he started spinning his wheels, he's spinning really, really fast, but he's not actually moving yet. Walt, all, Frank and Ollie, Frank and Ollie's 12, um, 12 principles of animation, one of them is a ease, easy ease. It's oh, yeah. a keyframe that adds a Bezier curve onto it. So when you go to make that pan motion, put it as an easy ease out and the other end as an easy ease in. It takes it a little moment to get going, then the speed gets going, and then it right. slows down. So just like if you were going to go run, you would take a moment to speed up and then you'd get to full speed and then it would take you a moment to slow back down. You never start at full speed and end at full speed. Yeah. Another way to keep your shots dynamic, just like I said a moment ago, keep people guessing as they go. When you go to record this footage, don't do just a long establishing recording shot and try to add motion to it in post-production. Do short recordings. Record for 10 seconds. That means I have got my camera, I've got my shot ready, I hit record, I take a breath, I do whatever the action is, I take a breath and I stop recording. How many times have you gone into post-production and caught a motion of something and as soon as you thought it was done you hit stop right. to only realize that in post-production you needed a half a beat more maybe a second more to let it not be a hard cut i actually experienced that this weekend my church had a big women's event and uh, natalie grant was singing so i shot Na Yay. for natalie grant on friday night and then had a, a speaker on uh, saturday like all day it was all day shooting I was carrying the Black Magic Pro, you know, all day. Uh, my, I was, Ooh. I was wiped. But going back to that, one of the things that the video guy said is, he's like, don't, don't press stop as soon as they're done. Right? You want to yeah. capture the room. You want to capture the moment, the the letdown. And that, and they used that. And, and so I'm, I'm actually glad that he told me prior to that, even though I knew it, I would probably wouldn't have done it unless he said it. Uh, because it gave them a chance to fade out in the actual content that they posted. And otherwise, it would have had to fade out while the moment was still happening. So that's, yeah, that's a great point. Also, make sure you get extra footage, extra B-roll. I know last week I said don't record everything. Record what's on your shot list mm -hmm. because, again, Please go back, if you haven't heard it, go back to the pre-production episode, make a plan, make that shot list, shoot the shot list. Well, when you have B-roll on your shot list, add some extra cutaways of it, or uh, let's say your B-roll on the shot list is a medium shot. 
also do a wide shot and a tight shot at just a little different pivot angle. So if you, you all know what a circumference is or a radii, etc., put the object at the point of it and you're on the outside edge of the circle, go around the circumference of that a little bit just to give you a different dynamic angle mm. and do you have a medium shot. Now you have a wide shot just a little bit to the left of the object and you have a tight shot just to the right of the object. And that right there makes your shot so dynamic and it took an extra 20 seconds to accomplish. Right. Is there a standardization for organizing your files or does it depend on each individual shoot? If you remember, post-production is six to eight times recorded footage length. For me, it gets closer to four to six times because I do proper file management. And I'm 10. If, exactly. <laughs> if I wanted to go right now and find a video that I remember shooting 12 years ago, it would take me maybe two minutes to go into my deep storage on the NAS and find it because <laughs> wow. I had proper file storage back then. It's not the same as what I have right now. Right now, as soon as I have a project, mm -hmm. I go in and I make a folder for it. It is named the four-digit year, two-digit month, underscore the either the client or the platform. So if it's a client, it'll be a three-digit of that. If it's going to YouTube, it's YT. If it's Instagram, IG, et cetera, underscore something else and then underscore the name of the project. One thing that Dean asked at the end of the last episode was what can he do uh, to prevent his computer from sounding like it was going to explode <laughs> when he's, I was literally was right just there. thinking his, when he was talking about the proxy stuff, it's like, that's one reason I don't like editing video is I bought a laptop. It's a good laptop, but it has limited Ram space. And if mm -hmm. I did it again, I almost feel like if you're going to edit video, you need to get a, a desktop computer with some real power behind it. Oh, man. I'll, I'm going to give you a pro tip right now that will let you edit on a Chromebook if Chrome would allow DaVinci and Final Cut to work on it. Or let's say you get some six-year-old MacBook Pro that barely will run Final Cut Pro. Pro tip. So let, uh, let's say that you are uh, – first thing you do when you have finished your file imports – Edit your A-roll first. Now, let's say that you're doing the A-roll and your computer is already choking out. Two things are causing this. It's either the computer processing the footage or it's the computer processing the footage. If it's the first thing, it is lossy versus lossless. If I say the words, do you know what I mean, that's lossless. If I say, nah, mean... That's lossy. <laughs> Both of them say the exact same thing, but one of them is lossless. I tell people, if your camera is shooting in lossy and it only shoots in MP4, when you go into editing, actually up-convert your video, taking it from that small file, turn it into that ProRes 422 lossless file. If you go ahead and do that up front, you don't have to worry about doing that pre-render. Let's say you've done that and your computer is still choking out. Go and make a proxy file. Yeah. A proxy file is just a replaced file. It is in the same format. It's 4K 30 frames. But instead of the bitrate being 60 megabits per second, it might be six. So it looks potato quality. Right. And that's OK because we're not colorizing. We're just telling the story first. You have that podunk quality video in there. You're able to do your graphics. You can do your timing, etc. When it's time to do the final render, there's a little button in most all professional editors where it created the proxy. Now it replaces it, and you just let the computer choke all night long. Yeah, I started using Adobe uh, Premiere Pro. Uh, I switched over from Final Cut Pro, and I'm able to you know just turn the proxies Ooh. on and off. And for me, that was a, yeah. a huge time saver. And I just run it at like a quarter, quarter percent for, for the video or whatever. And I, it's, it's made my editing a lot faster, but still. I do half resolution, sometimes quarter resolution on mine. And I've got a 16 core machine just, okay. just to make it never stutter. Right. Yeah. And I, I export in two, uh, what is it? 264. Is that right? Um, yep. and so it, 
it still takes, you know, 12 hours to export something sometimes, <laughs> which is crazy. Joseph, enough of this video talk and visual talk. <laughs> I've always been a firm believer that it's the soundtrack that sets the tone for oh, yeah. a movie or, or a picture. Oh, yeah. How does oh, music yeah. play into videos? Should people look for, I have a five minute video, I need a five minute song. Do they look for songs that play back and forth and set the pace and tone of what's going on? And then how do you layer in things like voiceover while I have music playing and get all tool sounds? How do I mix all this together? I, I love audio. Uh, there was this, this cool exhibit in Atlanta called Dialogue in the Dark. And as you walk into the room with your 10 people, they um, that you're sitting on these boxes that are lamps and you don't realize it. The, the lights are going down and you eventually are in pitch dark. And you're going through this exhibit and they have all these sound effects going on and these scents. And what happens, you're supposed to exactly. You're supposed to, you want to feel uh, what it's like to be a visually impaired person. Uh, in your videos, music is everything. If, if I came into this serious shot and I'm playing, here come the clowns, you know, it's, it carries it up. <laughs> One thing that people, thank you, Jeez. horrible sound effects. You know, One, I try. One thing that a lot of people fail at is, uh, let, let's say you're one of the surveillance shot people and you're, you're going super fast with your production. I don't know if we talked about it last time, a uh, Foley audio or Nat sound, natural sound. And yeah. uh, I'll see if I can give you the links to it. it. It's private or it's kind of unlisted right now, but people can go and see it. I have this video where I'm explaining how to make cuts and all of the sound from this of me working the saw, working the grinder, working the welder are recorded later because your microphone has to be as close to the subject, the material as possible, but we also don't want it in the shot. Back to your music comment. Music is difficult because good music costs money. And, mm -hmm. and ooh, I am now an Epidemic Sound affiliate, oh. and I absolutely love Epidemic Sound. Are you feeding content um, to them? Are you going to start selling? No, not okay. yet. Not yet. I am. Uh, that was something that I started to set ooh, up at MakerCamp, and I am excited. I will start selling Foley audio on JoJax eventually for my Patreon subscribers. I'm going to have a library for people to come in and uh, get storyboard, shot list, and the Foley audio. How do you, how do, you do that? So you're describing building in Foley, but if I'm doing something and I'm doing it in slow-mo, how do I mm -hmm. get a – if I'm using the miter saw, how do I get the yeah. same feel of using the miter saw – but show yeah. the content in slow-mo. I'll, I'll give you the video to watch, and there are both fast and slow pieces of it. And had I not told you that it was Foley audio, you would have totally believed it. It doesn't matter. The mind fills in the gaps. So when I am in slow motion, I have the exact same audio as if I was in regular speed. And, it is not slowed down or sped and up. Same thing for speeding up. You know, we talked a lot about the, the people who show a 10 minute build in 60 seconds. And yeah. it, a lot of those builds, part of the fun is that, you know, that really whiny, you know, kind of stuff tapping that takes really good editing only good editors can do that and they are editing on the thunk not the ear if you notice when they do those kinds of videos they are making a thunk sound of setting something down and that is the cut okay. they never make a cut on a high-pitched sound unless the next shot is continuing that motion of some sorts it is all, the good ones are always think 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 and that conveys a sense of urgency in it and the viewer is always looking for what's new and that is an right. art yeah that's that's something i've struggled with i've tried speeding up things and then i'm like where do i make the cut because if i'm if i'm running something at two times speed but the next shot it's more drawn out so i want to compress it down to three times speed, I've got different pitches in the, in mm. the saw. So then I have to, I have to basically drop out All the right. audio and carry it over to the next shot. Right. 
All right, I'll, I'll show you this one now. So we all have the exact same tools in theory, unless you're upgrading. And you are, for me, whenever I'm doing metalworking, I have my certain grinder, my certain saw, my certain whatever. And I'm always using that same tool. I might cut in a lot of times I'll have the same thickness of wood or metal. Well, go in and record you and you have the same motion as you're doing things. You never cut something slower unless, you know, you're, you're trying to avoid nails or whatever. You are doing things as a creature of habit. Yeah. Go in and record yourself doing all these random things with the microphones. Have one microphone right up close, one far away because you need to get the resonance and the reverb and do your normal work and save it. Cut a pine two by four, cut a two by six, cut a two by eight, then cut something of hardwood, cut it three or four times so that you have all these different options. So back to your uh, your example where you have fast motion, slow motion, etc. You go in, open a Coke right on microphone, and <laughs> now you perfect. have that as Foley that audio. Perfect. That was perfect. Uh, by doing these recordings, you have a lot of options. And I'm not saying I got everything perfect the first time. Now you have Foley audio. You have different options. You have different options from different angles. And you can do a... Um, it's almost like a cross-dissolve or audio ducking to do it. Joseph... You know, something that got real popular last year, the last few years in YouTube or, or Instagram video is the force transition. So, you know, you're mm -hmm. putting your camera down on the piece and then when you pick it up, you've transitioned mm -hmm. to this oh, new scene. Oh, yeah. There's got to be yeah. something more than that. You know, what are some good transition Watch techniques for people to pick up? Um, there is one cool one that you put your camera on a lanyard on your neck and you go out and just hit where the... Um, the lanyard hits, that's one. And you set your, if you're doing manual focus, you set your focal length to be that. And if you have shallow depth of field, meaning a mirrorless DSLR cinema camera where you have a high uh, speed lens with a low aperture, like one over 2.8 or something like that, you would uh, set as you pull on the camera or push it away from your body and it hits the neck strap, it is perfectly in focus. So everything's out of focus and then boom, it's in focus. You can kind of emulate that in post-production, but practical production, it actually looks really cool. Another one is to put in that same motion where you have it on your neck and let your body lean forward like a drunk person and let that be the coming out of it. What happens is if you're shooting at twice your frame rate, so if we're shooting 30 frames a second and I have my shutter speed at 60 frames a second, it creates this beautiful motion blur. And if you have a lot of color in your shot, it creates colored light streaks. And then in your next shot, have the camera up in the air and you're doing that same tilt, but coming from leaning backwards to leaning forward. And that transition right there is just another dynamic shot you can add. You can do the same thing left to right, dollying, uh, in and out, jib or crane, which is up and down. Um, you don't always have to do that swoosh and tilt shot. Is, is building too many transitions, should you stick to a, a set two or three types of transitions in a 30-second clip? Never use an effect for the sake of using an effect. And you put a star wipe out on this uh, YouTube video so people see how useless an effect is. Um, a, a, an effect, a uh, transition, um, you know, anything you're doing in post-production needs to have the purpose of telling the story. Yeah. So all of these swipes and hits people are using to make their shots look dynamic artificially in post-production right. to give a sense of urgency, just like what I was talking about, having all these short cuts and people with Instagram reels with fast cuts. They are leaning on the crutch, just like people on Instagram. I'm not saying anybody like Matt Boltner Woodworking who use a song to cover up bad footage like i love this song yeah. but the footage doesn't match it so you can have your 
your style of these transitions, but only use transitions and effects to tell the Instagram story. Instagram is built into their uh, Reels new transitions. And so I feel like we're hmm. getting ready to see a lot more of these fake it's, transitions happen. You know, the zoom in, zoom out and stuff like that. So, and they're on their way out yeah, then. I, I hate, I hate that. Oh, go back and watch tool time and home improvement. You would see that transition of somebody walking across the screen screen and the other thing was behind it that is a mask dissolve or a mask transition and i highly recommend doing this now matt that you're in the adobe sphere and you have after effects yeah. you can do this in premiere pro you can do this in final cut davinci resolve all you're doing is adding a mask to accomplish this you need to completely in case the frame of video head to toe and you put your uh, two pieces of video on top of each other and as the person walks across the screen you put um, keyframes on the mask behind them and as they walk across you are revealing the other shot it could be a tool like imagine taking a crescent wrench and putting in front of the camera as you go and as long as the crescent or the wrench or the tool or whatever is completely over the top and bottom of the screen you just set a mask set the keyframes on the mask and what's happening is it is revealing the layer below it instead of just cutting between shots one thing I want to kind of back up just briefly on is if I've dumped everything in and I've edited my, all my A roll, um, am I doing, uh, you mentioned doing color balancing and stuff after, but if I've chopped everything up mm -hmm. in and I've, I'm telling, I've told the story like I want to tell it, should I worry about doing like balancing my audio, doing color balancing and stuff, and then chopping things up? Because that way I won't have to like do a an overlay or any of that kind of stuff. Or should I should I really just focus on getting the story chopped down? Yeah, story is key. You know, content is king. The story is key. Um, if you have content that is not telling a story. It's not nothing's going to go with it. People might watch it because it's pretty, but they're you're going to know that your best performing content is when you're telling a story. So you have to tell the story in the A roll, and by doing that, you're going to know um, where to cut things because if you go in and sweeten the audio and get everything to the level and you're normalizing and you're doing all this production, and then you realize that that cut is completely superfluous and not useful. You spent all that time working on something that is useless. And they call it um, killing your love, sacrificing your babies. In in the shot, you have this, this beautiful shot that you are shoehorning into your edit and you are doing everything you can to get this shot or clip into your video, but it does nothing to tell the story Get rid of it. Okay. I leave so much beautiful stuff on the cutting room floor, and it's okay because you can put that into some other content, not a reel, but maybe just a post, right. or it can be B-roll for something else. That shot might live on another day, but if it doesn't tell the story, get rid yeah. of it. I, I'm more on the entertainment side rather than the informational side. I, I, that's what I think, at least. Um, should I have music... Under, I guess this might going back to more what Dean was asking. Essentially, you know, go, let's talk about music, the music stuff. Should I focus on the music underscore, um, and sh or should I back yeah. that music underscore out to where it's just talking? Because I get a lot of comments where people say that's distracting. Are those just trolls? Are yeah. they speaking for the majority? Should I have any underscore when I'm doing talking head? Well, well just like. Just like what I said before, everything needs to be part of telling the story. And if your music is not helping to tell the story, it might not be the story. Your music might not be the focus, but it needs to help convey. So, yes, yes, they are right that music, it could just be distracting and it could just need to be lowered 
don't use the music as a crutch. And it's beautiful that Instagram allows us to have copyrighted music and we don't have to pay right. for it. Obviously, YouTube doesn't because you're going to get your three strikes on that. Music needs to help tell the story or it needs to, at the very least, not detract from the story being told. Okay. Joseph, I bought my camera, I bought my lights, I bought my slides, I bought all this gear. At what point do I buy the green bodysuit so I can use the <laughs> chroma keys effect in my editing? Again, when it is part of the story to be told, there's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do even without green screen. Um, I am a, a fan of Peter Quinn stuff, who if you've seen the uh, Making Fun show on Netflix, he's the After Effects editor who did that. Uh, that and Cinefilm.net, that's where I'm getting a lot of my ideas from. And I think that, you know, Paul Jackman does beautiful content and, you know, that's where I learned about Epidemic Sound because I was trying to Shazam his his music and I, I loved it. He also does beautiful After Effects work. And that was kind of something fun up at uh, Maker Camp where, I sh you know, he had seen that clip. If you haven't seen it, it's on my Instagram, I Make TV, where I throw some boxes in the air and I yeah, look I was gonna around ask them. About yeah. that. You look around them and then you grab one or tell, tell uh, the I secret here because you never so post. How'd you do that? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Effect? So I have it edited in the Maker Camp. All my prep for Maker Camp came up. So it, it is about ready to go up. Super simple. Oh, like, we saw that in our private chat. I thought that was on his Instagram feed. Okay. It is. It is on Instagram. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the video's on, on Instagram uh, where essentially I throw some pieces of wood up and they only go up to the bottom of my beard. I had to make sure that that's as far as they went. At... Um, there were, let, let's say it was, it was off my laser cutter. It was, uh, some cutoffs from some finger joint boxes that I had made on the laser cutter. I held one small piece off to the side, just outside of camera view. And as I'm looking left and right, it's kind of a magician secret where, uh, don't look at this hand, look at this hand. And I'm grabbing the other one and super fast slide of hand. I go up to exactly where I knew the boxes hit their apex and I pull that piece out, show it, put it down. I don't actually drop it. I do the same sleight of hand again. And that is extra coverage in case I didn't get my hand in the right spot. In post-production, you go in, you can do this in Premiere Pro. It's easier in After Effects because of uh, some added stuff. You go where the boxes hit the apex. You export that frame. You go into Photoshop and you essentially erase everything but the boxes, and that becomes a Photoshop layer with an alpha. Go into your editor, put that over top at the apex, and then erase the boxes that are the pieces that are falling. You just mask them out. Mm. How you mask them out is if you have a solid color shirt, which is what I highly recommend, you can get these available at jojax.com. <laughs> uh, for the people who are on YouTube, it's awesome. You mask out the object. And when you mask something or key, like chroma is a key, meaning it makes a keyhole. Masking means I am cutting everything else out and leaving this one object and you can invert the mask and it essentially an inverted mask becomes a key. When you key it out, it creates a hole that, you know, is just empty. Whatever the lower layer is shows through. You take the exact same video shift it about three frames where the boxes are outside of that keyhole, but your shirt is the exact same location. So your footage three seconds in the future is filling in that hole. And you have to make sure you don't get your hands into that shot. And whenever I did the how-to, uh, that's why it's taking me so long is because I messed up in the how-to. I put my hands in the wrong spot. And I'm trying to figure out how to do the how-to in 30 seconds. And you can hear right now it's taking me three minutes to explain it. <laughs> So now put 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 what you, put what you taught us in a in a practice and edit that down into three sentences. <laughs> hmm. Um one shot throw it up boxes hit the apex that becomes a photoshop layer mask out the boxes falling you have one in your other side it goes in and it's photoshop and masking. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch it and see if I can pick up on that. 
Oh, yeah, it's so you'll, obvious. You'll he now. did a half-ass job. You can see exactly <laughs> what's going on the whole time. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Joseph, uh, when I first got into YouTube, I, I was using... Uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the program, but it was a pretty robust program on the uh, iPad Pro. Uh, I, I made a few short videos, and then I got to the export section. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know what any of these settings meant, what frame yeah. rates to use, what are some just real good general suggestions for your export settings? Well, now two different exports, one's archive, one's upload. So yeah. YouTube uh, is a lossy H.264, uh, you know, output format because it's having to carry a lot of video over a uh, communication medium, just like your TV. And so back to earlier where we were talking about lossy video, where it has one reference frame and everything in between. You've seen this while watching sports where your screen goes pink and you just see the football player and it goes across the screen. Two seconds later, it resets. That is a, a lossy IPB frame type thing. 4K video is usually around a 40 megabit bitrate. 1080 video automatically is around 7 megabit. If you take your 1080 and up it to like 20 to 40 megabits, the file is going to be huge, but it's going to look exactly like 4K that's been scaled up and scaled back down. Because scaling up 4K, all it does is multiplies the pixels by 4 Unless you're in the new Premiere Pro and it has some AI stuff where it actually creates pixels out of nothing when you do the upconvert. But that's that's a side note. If you're archiving your stuff here, I absolutely recommend when you are done editing, do two things. Have an archive version of the output, whatever your final video is, do a lossless export of it, meaning AVI ProRes 422. Um, DNX, DMXF, whatever is a all-eye lossless format that your software does. The reason you want to do that is that footage could be used in something else. And how many times have you wanted to put this perfect cut, maybe not the whole video, but just a piece of one video into another, and all you have is, you know, that one export that went to YouTube in the whatever quality, now have a think future-proof, like I have a high-quality final master version of this file at the end in a lossless format so that I can edit it. So you have your high-res H.264 lossy one to go up, you have your um, lossless file for archiving, then collect your files. Most every pro application will have this function called uh, project consolidation and collection. What that means is it will make a copy of everything minus the cache, minus the renders, minus the temporary files, minus the autosaves. It will collect only the footage you actually used in that video and copy it to a new thing. Because imagine how many takes right. you did and how many extra clips you never used. It will only save the things you actually used in a new area. If you're one of those surveillance style makers who just lets the camera roll the entire time, let's say you did a, uh, oh, by God, a one hour build. And in that build, there's maybe five 10 second clips, or let's just say you're doing a 10 minute recording, but there's only 30 seconds in the middle that you need. You're having to hold on to that massive file that is 10 minutes. Go into Media Encoder on Adobe or Handbrake or wherever, mark an endpoint just before the action happens, mark an outpoint just after the action happens, export that as a lossless file, delete that 10 minute file, and you have only the 30 seconds that were actually important. That's good. So, Dean, thanks so much for being on uh, here and bringing your podcast co-host a game <laughs> uh can you tell people where they can find your various channels sure on instagram i'm real creative it's dean underscore duplantis i figure if it was good enough for duresta it's good enough for me <laughs> i'm also on youtube on that name uh not really prolific there but if you want to go take a watch and see me waddle around in some overalls check it out 
And then I have a podcast called The Making, comma, Our Way podcast. My co-hosts are the high-caliber craftsmen, Austin Saunders and Christy from Twisted Twine Woodworking. Uh, we release on Tuesdays, so you've got time to listen to us and then get in the Maker's Lounge when nice. it comes out. Thank you. Joseph, uh, I always learn so much uh, talking to you, and I'm super glad that I got to cat, uh, catch our chat here on the podcast so I can go back and reference it. I have a recorded uh, chat with you this time. We've talked so much in the last three episodes, and uh, most people have to pay to listen to what we talked about. Uh, so it's this has been a real treat. Can you tell people where they can find you as well? Uh, it is confusing because I didn't secure my YouTube early enough, even though it's it's old. My Instagram is where most folks find me. It's I make TV. Uh, Joe Jacks on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube slash Joe Jacks, it's J O J A Q S. I'm Joseph. My daughter's Jacqueline. It's named after her. Um, you can go on there. That's where you'll find a lot of these boot camps in longer form. On JoeJacks.com, uh, you can download the uh, storyboard template, the shot list template on my uh, Instagram. If you go to my link tree, it'll take you right to the download page. Um, more content than what we covered tonight is in my presentations for WorkbenchCon and MakerCamp and what I teach privately. And folks can go on uh, to that uh, page I made for Maker Camp, download that. I'll have Foley audio available, but jojax.com, YouTube slash jojax. Hit me up on iMakeTV. Come take these classes. I teach these private one-on-one, -on -one, either virtually or in person. So if you want to do what we've done here, but personalized for you, no matter if you're uh, in the North Carolina area or remote, um, I I can teach this to uh, no matter what your business your make awesome. is. And I'm Matt with Voltner Woodworking. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube at Voltner Woodworking. Thank you, Dean and Joseph, for joining me in the lounge. I'm sure we could talk about production stuff for a long time. Uh, please take a moment to, to follow these guys. Uh, give us a review on the podcast and uh, send some future ideas for, for future episodes. Send us a DM on Instagram at Maker Lounge Podcast or send an email to MakerLoungePodcast at gmail.com. For future episodes, we're going to have the opportunity to catch the episodes early. If you're interested in that, uh, you can subscribe to our new Patreon page. Uh, so the notes will be listed in wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to get in on that early action, get bonus episodes, check out the, the link in, in that description. I've got some real treats in store for our special Patreon members, including stickers, uh, which will arrive next week. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, and uh, we will catch you in the next episode.